Celebrating 25 years of leadership in the St. Louis region, this is Focus St. Louis Leadership Podcast. I'm Yami Akande-Barch, President and CEO of Focus St. Louis, and your host. Join me as I talk with great leaders and visionaries inspiring our world to be a better place to live, work, and play for all of us. Ready, set, talk. Today's guest is Rebecca Bennett, founder and principal of Emerging Wisdom LLC and its subsidiary Empower Institute. Wisdom is a forward-thinking social enterprise that helps individuals live empowered lives, as well as leaders build impactful organizations. It also um, works to advance communities to brighter futures. In 2010, Rebecca opened Empower Institute as a center for community healing and optimal living. She has since helped tens of thousands of people and countless organizations effect positive change. Rebecca also serves as the immediate past co-chair of the Board for Forward Through Ferguson and as past chair of the Board at Generate Health. It is my honor and privilege to welcome the great visionary leader and my friend, Rebecca Bennett. Rebecca, hello and welcome. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's it's been a while since I've been wanting to talk deeper leadership conversation with you just to learn about how you got to now. So for our audience members, many of which know you, why don't we start by having you tell us about yourself and your leadership journey? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, quite know where to begin. Um, I don't I don't know that there's any point at which a definable point in my life at which I said, I'm a leader now. Sure. Right? So in thinking about when does the journey begin, I can see how all of the threads of my life experience have prepared me to be in deeper levels of service over time. Right. Um, But where to begin this journey, I think because of your leadership with um, Focus St. Louis, it's probably appropriate for me to start uh, this particular story as a Coral Fellow. Sure. Right. Given that Coro was one of the um, signature programs for Focus for quite some time, uh, but before Coro was with Focus, right. I had an opportunity to um, be a Coro Fellow, which prepares uh, young, sort of bright-eyed um, college and graduate students and and adults for um, lives in public service. So it is like a um, a residency. For Correct. people who are interested in public affairs and public policy. And I did Coral after I finished graduate school, uh, after I finished about with AmeriCorps, um, working in some of our most challenging environments um, in, the, in the city of Detroit. Um, but really being of service and being able to see what, um, what poverty among young people and families looks like um, and what we as institutions and systems can do about it. And then I got into Coral, and it really expanded my focus uh, in some pretty profound ways by giving me exposure to lots of aspects of public life sure. that I didn't know anything about right, right. before then. So I think of those things as being sort of foundational, um, foundational parts of my leadership journey, the early sort of formative experiences. Um, then... What happened was I got a chance to work for a consulting firm doing work to advance the public good. Really, again, my focus is on public policy right. uh, and community transformation. Um, and in that context, though, 
I got a chance to be civically engaged. And I think this is something that we often don't um, focus on so much when we think about leadership. It's more about positional authority and less about the ways in which we can make our communities better. But I think anybody who's a halfway decent leader um, takes seriously the opportunity to be of service to their community. And so as a young professional, folks said, hey, do you want to sit on this board? Hey, do you want to volunteer for this event? Hey, do you want to, right? And that got me some really great leadership experiences. And you said yes. I said yes. I said yes to sitting on the board of an adoption agency um, because I had um, two of what I would call my little sisters, technically their cousins who got adopted. So when I was asked to sit on the the, the, uh, region's only black foster care and adoption agency, I did. I didn't know anything about the foster care and adoption process, but I said yes. Right. And that gave me an opportunity to eventually chair that board. And then I got asked to sit on the board of the Professional Organization of Women, which prepares African-American women to learn, lead and succeed, specifically in corporate uh, as well as nonprofit spaces. Thinking of the corporate spaces as sort of the last frontier mm-hmm. for equity right. uh, for many of us. And I said, yes. Even though I, I worked for a company, but it wasn't quite corporate because our focus was the public good, right? So again, not necessarily aligned with my immediate experience, but an opportunity to serve uh, to make sure that the advantages of um, of a just society inured to all. Mm-hmm. And when they asked me to chair, I said, yes. Yes. Right. And then I got asked to serve to help found a charter school. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting because I'm a kid of a public, you know, I'm, I'm a public school kid. Um, But as I think about the importance of options, it led me to go, hey, let me lean into this and see and explore. Um, And that's when I I really got to learn about um, the trade-offs and the the challenges uh, that come with having uh, equitable, excellent education, Mm -hmm. um, public school education, charter school education, uh, independent school education. When I was asked to, to chair, I said, yes. So all of these opportunities over time um, really helped to develop me. And none of that is positional. At some point, I did get into positional Position, leadership. Right, sure. But the opportunities to be of service preceded uh, authority, institutional or organizational authority, and quite honestly have kept me grounded. Wow. That is, that is profound what you just shared, because those are the signposts mm-hmm. that brought you to today. Mm-hmm. And I'm, remem- I'm remembering some of the questions that I've gotten along the way from many of our alums or just folks in community that say, okay, I'm ready to serve. Where do I start? Right. What advice would you give to them? You've, you've sort of found yourself in, in places where you've been asked, right. but not everyone is at that table or right. even at that door. Where can people proceed to even being asked? You know, I think one of the best things to do is to, is to start where you're planted, bloom where you're planted. You know, take a look around. What is it that you're most passionate about? Um, what are the purposes that really guide and inform your life uh, and your work? Uh, I think that those are good compasses for discerning what are, um, what are possible opportunities uh, and where you might um, be most beneficial, most helpful, most useful. Uh, I also think that it's important for us uh, when we're thinking about serving to really think about what what are we most interested in um, and and where do we wish that we had some of the supports, mm-hmm. some of the resources, right. um, and can you help close those gaps now? 
right? So we can look at our, our own histories and experiences for opportunities to serve. We can look at our communities and what's immediately around us. You know, I say bloom where we're planted. Uh, and we can also take a, a an inventory of our purposes. And I speak about purpose in the plural because I don't think, um, I think we're multidimensional beings and I don't think we have a single purpose all Absolutely. the time. I think we have multiple uh, multiple purposes, and where do those purposes lead us in terms of opportunities? To, and it's probably just a matter of prioritizing yeah. what those purposes are. Yeah, and that's going to change over time. Absolutely. Right, which means then that the way I might serve um, at 50 is not necessarily the way I served at 18, mm-hmm. um, and the opportunities aren't necessarily uh, as interesting to me. You know, what I was passionate about uh, as a younger woman and what I'm passage, I, I am um passionate about now as a middle-aged woman. Right. Um, some of those things is a through line and they're consistent, but other things have evolved as I've evolved, as I've become a parent, as mm-hmm. I've, you know, moved in community spaces. I've had more life experiences and seen more of the devastation that can be wrought among our, our community members as a result of how systems behave or institutions behave, right? As I am seasoning, getting seasoned and more developed, mm-hmm. um, my constellation of interests that happen to change. Mm. So what keeps you here in St. Louis? The people. Hmm. Can you the think people. of specific examples of individuals that have helped shape your, your journey and your immersion into the region? Yeah, sure. So I started out um, uh, meeting one of the trainers in Coral, whose name is Jessica Perkins. And she and a colleague of hers, Lorna Godwin, were starting a very, uh, their very own consulting firm. And it was focused on the public good, right? How do we um, maximize public participation in public policy processes and decisions so that the public has ample opportunity to make decisions about what is best for its health and well-being in transportation, in environmental remediation, in community development, in education, in um, housing, in you name it. Let's make sure that the public has a seat at the table. And um, because of my Coro connection, because I met Jessica and Coro, I got a chance to do a rotation with Vector, and I ended up becoming their very first employee when they decided to open their firm. I did not know that. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I say that I had a chance, and I worked for that firm for 15 years, so I had a chance to do absolutely everything within the context of that business. But I had two wonderful mentors, right, in the form of Jessica Perkins and Lorna Godwin. So I don't think we can ever underestimate the power of relationship That's to true. attract mm-hmm. and keep quality talent. Because my intention was to only be here for a year, the year that I was doing <laughs> Coro. I'm from D.C., right. so, you know, the Midwest was what you flew over to get to the coast, right. as far as I was concerned, mm-hmm. right? But these relationships and all of the people that I got a chance to meet through Coro and then got a chance to meet um, through my networks. The other thing is I found some of the most creative people in the world here, now, I think a lot of people in St. Louis, first of all, I think a lot of people in St. Louis undervalue this region. That is correct. Um, for a variety of reasons, sure. but do. Um, and I don't think St. Louis is necessarily associated with being the most creative center of the world. Not yet, but after this but. interview, possibly, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I have met, I think it's the Midwestern sensibility. If you, you want something done, you do it yourself. Right. Like, <laughs> I have met so many people who have looked at public challenges and traumas and situations and have decided that they would create the solutions that they wanted to see. 
And this is uh, a place with which they could do that. That's right. Because mm -hmm. St. Louis was small enough, right? Um, it was, they, they had enough ability to access or they had enough relationship to use, right? Or they had enough of a platform to attract attention and support that they just got started. They got out there and they got started. And I saw that in, in a variety of domains and fields. And that really attracted me here, made me think about this space, not as a sort of backwards place, mm -hmm. but as a place that was supportive of new ideas um, and that could um, be a great place to stake a claim in really making a change. Some settings are too big. Um, right. For anything that you do to be of any significant consequence, unless you have massive amounts of resource. But that's not the case here. The, the intimate nature of this community means that um, concerted efforts can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are lots of people here who are generative, who are creative, who are sourcing the solutions they want to see in the world. And that got me here, got me to stay here. Well, that's powerful. I think we should use we should we should uh, put this uh, out there and let people use it as a way to draw more people into yes. our region. Yes, you've hit the nail on the head in terms of the the smallness. Yeah, uh, and the relationship building. Yeah, and you're able to create deep relationships here. In ways that I have not been able to do in other cities that I've lived. And yeah. similar to you, that's why I call St. Louis home. home. Yeah. And every time I go out, I just say, I cannot wait to get back home. Yeah. And people ask me, so tell me about your home. What does it look like? Mm -hmm. And I paint this picture, and they're like, wow, that sounds like paradise. And I said, well, I didn't go that far. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, it is a place where yes. we can all do good. Yeah. So you've mentioned a number of issues that we have in this region. Mm -hmm. And depending on who you talk to, some people may say, it's so overwhelming. I don't know where to start. Right. What do you say to those types of individuals? So I want to answer both questions. Okay. I want to answer the question you asked me just a moment ago, again, in a different way. And I want to answer this question about the it's so overwhelming. So I understand why people are overwhelmed by the depth of um, challenge that is um, lives here in St. Louis. There's great opportunity and extraordinary, um, extraordinary talent. And there's some real calcified issues here uh, that have been baked hard into uh, the earth of this space. Right. That's part of what brings me here, though, mm -hmm. when I, I, I start thinking about what attracts me to this region. My mother said I've always liked things that have been hard and difficult. OK, <laughs> she was right. <laughs> um, um, but you, you can't understand St. Louis without understanding its position and why its position matters. St. Louis is literally the crossroads for our country. Right. So anybody who's in the transportation business, right, knows that we are a major node, mm -hmm. right, for moving north, south, east and west. And it turns out that our location, north, south, east, and west, right right at the crossroads of America, right, mm -hmm. of America's promise and of America's nightmare, mm -hmm. is what makes this such a potent and rich place to be, right, and such a compelling place to be, right? right? So that Mason-Dixon line was real, right? We're right on the cusp of north and south, and all of the battles and challenges around um, race and entrenched um, um, white supremacy or racial caste systems, 
right uh, on the we're right at the the center of the battle between industrialized America and rural or agro uh, agricultural America. Sure. Right. We're right there in the in the thick of that economic tension. Um, we're right there at the doorway to the West, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Between East and West, the density of the, the East, the, the sort of wild nature of the West, mm-hmm. right? All of these, all of the, all of the um, sort of defining forces of America conspire and connect right here mm-hmm. in St. Louis. And I tend to believe that if what we want to do is to support the evolution of our society, that the kinds of changes that we want to see made have to happen, not just on the margins of our polity, not just on the West Coast or the East Coast, but they have to happen through the heart. Mm. Any organism, right, any organism that is evolving, that is changing, right, it has to, it has to go through the heart because the heart is what circulates everything. That's so true. changes on the extremities, while necessary and not sufficient, to advance the growth and development of the organism. The same thing is true for our societies, right? The best of what America can be, it will never be if we cannot see it grow and change in the heart of the matter, which is right here. And so the heart, though, is what takes a beating, right? And so the fact that all of these forces, whether or not it's the tension around racial class or economic caste, or it's the tension around um, agricultural and industrial and then post-industrial, or it's the tension between, right, um, East and West, uh, dense and open, or it's the tension. All of those things, right, are compacted here. Mm-hmm. And that is part of what sets up this, I don't know where to start. Because the aggregation of all those things, the accumulation of, of hurts, mm-hmm. <laughs> of national traumas. Right. Is Thick Very. here is noticeable and pronounced. So I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. My, oh my, it's just too much. Right. So I'm just giving some of the framing for why it might feel like it's too much. That stated, um, challenge, oppression, difficulty have never been a match for fully creative human beings. Mm. Ever. Pick a culture, pick a society, pick an era. Right. There have always been people who sought to find a way through, over, under, around. Yes. Whatever the obstacle, restriction, or constraint would be. Right. With varying degrees of success. Sure. But there have always been people who tried. Right. Right. And so what I tend to believe is, yes, I'm afraid that things might not get better, but I hope beyond my fear. And then I work beyond my hope. And if I do that, right, if I do that, that gives us the best shot because I'm not incapacitated by the fact that I see that this is difficult. The other thing that needs to happen is not only that I need to hope and I need to work. Right. In the midst of my fears, not in the absence of fear. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I think I think that's mythological. Right. Right. I think we encounter these difficult things and I think our knees should knock. Right. But I think the other thing that makes it possible is a really strong sense of community. Because there's a saying, you know, life doesn't give you more than you can handle. handle. 
right? Mm -hmm. And I like to say that's BS. (laughs) It's BS. The only way that's true is if the second you is plural. Life doesn't give you, singular, more than you, plural, can handle. And so when we come together Mm -hmm. in community, in strong relationship, we tend to be able to pick away at that which would disable us or restrict us. Little by little by little by little. But we do so as a collective. Right. Because certainly these things can be far too great for a single mind. But they are not far too great for connected hands, connected minds, open and courageous hearts. Love it. I think I'm going to get each one of our alums a T-shirt that says <laughs> "Open and Courageous Minds," and I, and I and I love how you've you framed this mm-hmm. and pulled it all together in terms of the heart, mm-hmm. the community, yeah. the collaboration. Yeah. I borrow that term from you all the time. Yes, and people go, "Wow, that's new!" And I said, "It's Rebecca Bennett." <laughs> what else do you think? But it shows what's possible. Oh, absolutely. When, when humans come together yes. for the greater good of their community. Yes. We're creative species. Yes. I mean, in fact, that's what defines us as a species. We make stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yes. And we make stuff happen. And so much of what we have made happen that's maladaptive and painful and ugly um, and destructive, we can unmake. That's true. Right? The emphasis on the we. We can unmake. And it might not happen in a single lifetime. But, you know, as someone with kids, my focus is not on a single lifetime, mm-hmm. right? Because I don't just want my life and my lifetime to be better. I want my kids, right? How, how we hold our children is how we hold our future. It's for generations. Absolutely. And I want their children and their children and their children, which brings us back to some indigenous wisdom that says good leaders are thinking about seven generations ahead. They're planning for the long view. Right. They're taking the long view on what the impacts and implications of their decisions and their efforts are. Uh, And and that's not just our um, indigenous wisdom or First Nation peoples here in the United States. But as I think about authors like uh, wonderful African authors like Ayikwe Arma, right, Aganian authors who talk about, you know, the healers and 500 year perspective. Mm -hmm. Right. Leaders needing a 500 year perspective. Are you kidding me? That's (laughs) significant. If we had a 500 year perspective. What would we do differently? Oh, tons of things. Absolutely. Yes. So so much of the mess that we're in is because we're myopic and we're only looking at what what is what is possible in the immediate or what we need in the immediate without some sense of what the impacts and implications are beyond the immediate term. So we need leaders with the long view for mm. sure. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. So Rebecca, what are you most proud of? I would say my people. I'm most proud of my people. I have done some really meaningful work in this life and in this community, and I think I'm only getting started. But I'm most proud of um, cultivating a lineage of change makers. I invest a lot in people, in my teams, mm-hmm. um, in the communities that I'm a part of. Uh, I don't think it's sufficient to be a single bright light. 
My aim is not to be the brightest bulb in the bunch. My aim is to create a field of enlightenment. I like that. Right. So I want to help cultivate lots of bright lights. Mm -hmm. And as I look at the um, uh, women and men who I've had a chance to nurture, support uh, in their growth and development, as I look at my children who I am intentional about parenting, you know, I think that's, I mean, I think that's it. I think that's it. My mom used to say to me, um, it's our job to train up our replacements on the battlefield. Mm. And she said, you know, I've done my job. Yeah. <laughs> she, she wasn't saying I did my job. She right. was saying she She's did. passing on the baton <laughs> she to said, you. That's right. She was saying she did her job. And, you know, that, I think that's a part of my life philosophy. I didn't know it at the time, but I think, I think so now is, is, um, I, I plant seeds and these seeds are people. I water them mm-hmm. as best I can. Uh, I want them to be, um, better, stronger, healthier, wiser, um, more intelligent, more insightful, more compassionate than I ever could be. And I think that gives us the best shot. And like a better that. life and a better world. I like that. You're not looking to create a carbon copy of you. No. You're no, creating fact, individuals. Yeah. You're mentoring yes. individuals. Yes. And people who are better than me. Mm. Right. People who are better than me. And so that means so often we think about leaders as um, sort of being jealous. We ascribe a set of um, characteristics. Leaders as jealous or envious people who want to be the ones who do all of the shining and who don't want to share Right. Um, spotlight or who um, who resent other people's development. But if you have a 500 year view. There's no way that any single person could be sufficient unto that view. Mm-hmm. Right. A, a single heroic human. Will not save our species. That's true. Will not. What will save our species and help support and sustain life on this planet will be a critical mass of active, engaged, thought-provoked, enlightened, committed humans. That's what it takes. That's what it takes. So I think I'm most proud of, you know, helping to build up the, helping to build up that critical mass in, in my own little way. In your own big way, I will add to that. So do you have any aspects of your life that, looking back, that you would say, hmm, I wish I had a do-over? And what would that be? No. Okay. <laughs> You're through and through. That's I don't. okay. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, no. No. <laughs> and that's not because I haven't made my fair share of mistakes, and it's not because I, um, you know, everything's been perfect. But I think that the mistakes I've made and the um, challenges that I've lived through have helped to form the consciousness that I contain, that I have today. I've needed it all. I've mm-hmm. needed the successes and the failures. I've needed my character flaws. I've needed the people who've helped me see my blind spots. Um, I've needed the achievements uh, so that I could uh, experience my own agency, my own power, right? I've needed some of the humiliations so that I could uh, 
experience um, the fact that I'm still a work in progress. Like I have needed and made use of everything this life has sent me, pretty and painful. Mm. I like how you so, you phrased that. It's all part of yeah. life lessons. It's all part of leadership lessons, and yeah. one is not a throwaway. No, as and it no is, do-overs. it makes you stronger. Yeah, it does. And you know, um, and I I think I have learned more from the places where I've fallen down uh, than I have. It's not that I haven't learned from the places where I thrived, but. Um, from the spaces where I have been hurt, and I don't mean where I uh, someone hurt me, where I have hurt others, right. <laughs> where <laughs> I have not ways. lived fully into um, my ideals, sure, right, or my principles. Those spaces taught me a lot about me, and so I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change that. Not surprising. No. I'm truly amazed by you, Rebecca. And want to thank you for everything that you do for our region and beyond. And in our final moments uh, together, I'd like for you to share with our audience what's next for you and any sparks of wisdom we should be keeping in the back of our minds as we move about our days. Hmm. Well, I spent the first 25 years of my career focused on policy, right? Every kind of sort of public policy um, there was, and I like to say with varying degrees of effectiveness. We won some, uh, we lost a lot more um, in terms of seeing our efforts result in real systemic change. It takes a lot mm-hmm. to change uh, systems. <laughs> it's <laughs> it a takes, lot. It takes a lot. Remember that long view? Oh, yes, <laughs> right? yes. So my job is to, you know, I dig the dirt and then somebody else plants the seed and then somebody else waters the seed in another lifetime and then someone else cultivates right. the seed and then someone else harvests the thing and then the other person, like, t- pulls the weeds. <laughs> like, I have to look at that in terms of my sort of incremental contribution. Um, I spend a lot of time focused on that. At this stage in my life, I am ready to help co-create the healed future, hmm. dismantling the uh, the artifacts of, of maladaptive systems, systems that don't work, that are dysfunctional. I will leave that now to the next generation that's on the battlefield. It's not that it doesn't matter and it's not important. It, it is, but I've done that to the best of my ability, and my work right now is to help co-create the healed future. Um, that I want my great, 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 great grandchildren to live in. That requires a different set of faculties and a different set of capacities and invites me to be creative in ways that I could not imagine before, um, where I'm not limited to and only working within what currently exists, but where I'm radically imaginative about what can be, and I'm supporting others in bringing their visions uh, to the forefront. So I am supporting um, people in bringing their social innovations and ideas to the world and in resourcing that. Um, and I'm committed to healing our communities. And I call it community healing, where we, we not only seek to transform the conditions of our society, which um, people who are engaged in policy action are often trying to do, but we seek to transform the core of the human experience, that is the, our consciousness, mm-hmm. right? What is at our center, our internal lives that might be painful, uh, because here's what I know. Transform people, transform systems. That is true. You don't get changed systems if we ourselves uh, don't show up differently. And what does that take? 
So I'm interested in that work about transforming consciousness and transforming conditions. And I think the best way to do that is to, to focus on healing. Because if we don't heal it, whatever it is, if we don't heal racism, sexism, homophobia, you know, it, um, um, the ways in which we look at uh, our brothers and sisters who have varying levels of ability, if we don't heal uh, our social caste systems, if we don't heal it, we'll spread it, period. We cannot pretend. We cannot pretend that somehow this stuff will, you know. It's like a bacteria. Yeah, will spontaneously dissolve. Right. It won't. So we have to heal it. And that means not just healing it in the aggregate. Oh, I want a better society. But healing it in the personal. The personal is planetary. So the extent to which I am harboring or behaving in ways that reinforce those systems, the extent to which I've internalized that and made it mean something about me, the extent to which I'm acting with bias, in ways that under, undermine other people's lives, right? The extent to which that's happening, that's the world that I am investing in and creating. So I need to heal that. Right. So that I don't, I don't create that world with my choices and with my actions. And so the rest of my life is devoted to community healing, as I think that gives us our best shot at creating the healed future. Hmm. I agree. You know, I can appreciate the fact that you had realized that you had come to a certain point yeah. to pivot yeah. to another set of goals and priorities that you can really move forward and continue to grow leaders, continue to mentor leaders yeah. across different sectors. And I love that. Because some folks think a career is for a lifetime. It's like, yes, I'm doing this. It is for a lifetime. But it doesn't have to be for a lifetime. When your work is done, your work is done. And you will know. Yeah. Indeed. Yami, you got it. Yes. You got it. Well. I'm, I'm doing my best. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been a wonderful conversation. Every time I see you, I feel like it's a, it's a cup of caffeine that I get <laughs> from your words of moving the region forward. Yes. With the leaders that we have in various sectors. We can do it. Yes, absolutely. I'm convinced we can. And I'm the type of person that I always see the glass half full. And so I want to thank you, Rebecca Bennett, for sharing your time with us today. Thank you. Yes, and I also want to thank our listeners for joining us on the Focus St. Louis Leadership Podcast. Look for this in future episodes of the podcast on the Focus St. Louis website and right here on 89.5 KCFV-FM. Until next time, I'm Yami Akande-Barch. The opening and closing music is by Blue Sky Moon, Performative Consciousness, licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative 4.0 international license. <laughs>